You're listening to Radio Influence. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy, as always, to have you here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. Getting close to 100. Got to figure out what to do special for episode 100 coming up in the next uh, next month, I believe. So um, excited this week to have TNA Impact Wrestling Hall of Famer, uh, somebody who's really made an impact on women's professional wrestling before it became the women's evolution revolution uh and uh somebody i've wanted to interview for a long time for this podcast so gail kim will be here she's gonna be joining us in just a few minutes live from her nail salon so we're gonna we're gonna try that out from now on and every month we'll have a segment called live from the nail salon no not really um before we get to Gail Kim, want to uh, remind you, if uh, you don't already, please follow me on uh, Twitter at David Penzer, all one word. You can follow the podcast at Penzer Ringside. I grabbed a very cool Legends of Wrestling uh, t-shirt uh, with all in Detroit with all the images of the talent that were on the event. Uh, and towards the end of the month, we are going to have a contest and I'm going to give one lucky winner that t-shirt that's never been worn uh just had it in my briefcase and uh put it in my office so uh if you don't follow us on twitter for no other reason than to win a free shirt uh or possibly win a free shirt come and join us at david penzer love chatting with everybody and love the positive messages and don't even mind the negative messages don't get too many of them but uh don't mind uh constructive criticism whatsoever um so with that, why wait? Let's go right to the nail salon special appointment with the one and only TNA Impact record seven knockout championships. And she is a TNA Impact Hall of Famer. Please say hello to Gail Kim. Really excited for my guest this week who's about to join us from a nail salon of all places. I think that's something different, and uh, maybe we'll, we'll make that a uh, a regular feature, live from the nail salon, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, talking about Gail Kim, and I'm really excited. I wanted to talk to her about her career uh, for a long time, so we're excited to have Gail on. And I uh, wanted to ask you right off the bat, Gail, you started out wrestling under a mask. I'm wondering what that uh, went into that decision. You know, at the beginning when you're performing, you're, you're so self-conscious and terrified. And so I could hide my face under that mask, which, you know, probably would have shown all my awkwardness at the beginning. So I was actually very thankful for that, even though it seems strange. I was, I was kind of hoping for like, I didn't want my parents to know I wrestled for a living, but, but that's a good story. Well, they, that too, that too, because I lied to them. Oh, really? Tell me, <laughs> tell me about yeah. that. I kept it as a secret because they were very traditional Korean parents and, you know, wanted me to go to University of Toronto and just get married and marry a doctor and, or a lawyer and become one myself, you know, the very traditional structured life. And so I took my tuition money and I, I pretty much went after my dreams and I, and I said, I'm going to tell my parents and let them know when, once I'm close to achieving my dream and, you know, we never really had an official talk about it. It just kind of <laughs> happened and they kind of figured it out after a year of, okay, 
something weird is going on here. You know, Gail's obviously doing something else. And so I don't think they were surprised, though, because I was always a very spontaneous, um, somewhat rebellious girl growing up. But I always kept a good head on my shoulders. I always, you know, kept up the good grades and did what they wanted. But I always just had that rebellious, rebelliousness, you know, about myself. I can imagine. Hey, mom and dad, turn on the TV Monday on USA Network. Surprise! (laughs) No, I think they found out before that. I think it was an indie show or something my dad realized. And and they just probably thought I was weird, as everyone else does. (laughs) So 2002, you go to, you get signed by WWE, you go to WWF at the time, Mm -hmm. you go to OVW, which is now a a who's who, that's easy for me to say, of today's wrestling landscape really if you think about it who were you who were you there with and what are your memories of being in ovw oh well i'm not gonna lie it was misery for me because mostly not because of ovw the actual training and all that it's more misery for me because i was just kind of like uprooted all of a sudden i had lived in toronto and been raised in toronto you know it's a very metropolitan city and for me to have been told to move from Toronto to Louisville, Kentucky was a major (laughs) culture shock. I mean, it was a major culture shock. I went from experiencing zero racism, just a very uh, multi-ethnic, multicultural city to going to a city that was very different. It was literally black and white. And I had, I didn't even see another Asian there for at least a good five months. And I was just like, wow, this is such a different world. And, um, it was um it was different <laughs> i had fun and it was i just couldn't get um because i was on the road at the same time with wwe and doing that i didn't fully get um what's the word settled into louisville because right. like you know everyone in developmental kind of were had their own friends and you know were there every day and then i was the new girl that came in and was there maybe once or twice a week and then was on the road so it's kind of like this weird transition for me and um, I only had to stay six months, and then after that, you know, I became happy again. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, you know. You don't even you don't even think about the fact that uh, that moving to a place like Louisville is uh, as far as being Asian. Uh, I wouldn't have even thought that to be an issue. It's just amazing to right? me uh, that, that I, it was crazy to me. It was it was wow. It was a wake up call, but. Um, now it's just normal obviously you got to remember i hadn't really traveled all that much up until that point i traveled maybe in a car for the independent scene with tracy brooks you know to the northern states of america and maybe some vacations here and there but i mean i hadn't been exposed to the traveling world and that in itself you know now everything's just you know everything's nothing shocks me anymore nothing uh surprises me anymore so it's like i i appreciate those things about my job that i get to see the world and experience all these things and meet different types of people for sure so your first wwe televised match you actually won the women's championship i'm wondering after three years in the business were you ready to be a featured woman in the top company in the world i didn't know that that struck me as odd just knowing what i know yeah oh well it's odd looking back now and now i can at least look back and appreciate the historical i guess part of that uh so that was 
now looking back in honor in itself but then at the situation looking back in hindsight like there's really nowhere else for me to go but down and especially not being experienced and being able to handle it mentally at all emotionally I, I it was just a lot People talk about the politics in WWE, WWF. Um, I've never been there, so I, I don't know. Uh, uh, but but you, you hear different people talk about it. Where was there politics mm-hmm. there when when you were there bet- between the women, of or course. were you guys were you guys all tight, or were there still the same old politics? I think it's just political as you would get anywhere else in your job. Oh, well, that's not true. I was say their politics is on another level um because i didn't experience that in impact or tna at all um wwe is definitely you know it's a big corporation of course there's going to be politics and uh, a more cutthroat environment and i will say i mean i enjoyed i made fun see i'm not really much of a politicker so for me my friendships were probably you know they were more important to me um the relationships i had with those girls so I think different personalities fit well in that company um, for people. And, you know, you can normally tell you meet people in this business. And if I know they're going to go to WWE, it's kind of like, you know, whether their personality is going to fit in or not or in terms of success, in sure. terms of the politics, because some people are just cut out for that. And some people are not, you know, so for me, I always believe that I was not made up for that company because I'm not willing to do the things that maybe you hear about. And I don't mean necessarily sexual. (laughs) I mean, in other ways, everything. Yeah. I didn't realize, and I don't know if it was like that back when, when you were there, but I didn't realize that when you're the, like the new, like when you have your first European tour, apparently now you have to, you have to carry the, I don't know if the women do, but the men, the guys have to carry the bags and get water for the guys. Was that like that when you were there? I don't remember that so much. I mean, is that what you hear now? What's going on? There, there's a there's a, a kid who uh, a young kid who came out oh, of NXT I've heard the story. and uh, I guess he, he has story. seat on okay. him I guess because uh, he didn't want to uh, to carry water or meet uh, serve water or carry bags. I had no I had never heard of that any of that before. So, uh, but I was that must be a particular instance. I would think I heard that story before recently. So you're the second person to have told me about that. So. Um, that sounds like a particular instance where someone may have had a bad attitude, maybe, and so they're testing them. That sounds more realistic to me. So you talk about the friends you made. A lot of people just remember that there was a divas, uh, a divas division, and then recently mm-hmm. the women's revolution. But if you look back, there really was a women's revolution before there was the divas and the women's re- re- revolution. You had you, Trish, Lita, Molly, Holly, Victoria. Right. Uh, t- tell me about working with with them and uh, and 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 any stories you have. And uh, when you as you look back now, uh, to well, that that was. That was definitely the generation that inspired me and that when I fell back in love with wrestling, I those were the girls I was watching. And I remember thinking, wow, okay, there's an awesome women's division on Raw. And then there's, you know, uh, the girls that were maybe not as... Um, there are more characters, like a Don Murray, a Tori Wilson, you know, right. you'd see. And I, I love that. I love that there was this balance of everything for every fan 
and those girls at that time were inspiring the Trish, you know, uh, Lisa, sorry, Victoria, Jazz, Molly, all those girls were doing things that I had never seen before. And I was just in awe and thinking, these girls are beautiful, they're athletic, and there's no Asian girl, so maybe they need one. Or maybe they just need a good uh, good wrestler. But um, <laughs> Yeah, well, there are some. There is a lot of good girls back then. 2004, in November, you were released. What were, what were the circumstances behind that? Um, well, I remember Johnny calling me, and he had really, I think it was like after WrestleMania, I think, after WrestleMania, you know, when they normally do their cuts and everything. And it was myself, Nydia, Jazz and a couple of the guys and I remember them just saying okay well you've been released and um, literally that's all they were going to say and I just had to stop them on the phone I'm like okay can you tell me why and the only thing they told me was that the diva search had just happened the very first one and that they were going to go in a different direction with the ladies um, which they did uh, to be fair and it kind of after that women's wrestling kind of went downhill but um those are the circumstances I was circumstances I was told. I don't know. Yeah, you never know what you're. You never know what's the truth. Sometimes, you know. Yeah, that's never a fun call for sure. I remember in TNA, Terry Taylor used to. Oh, when he called you, he would say, "Hi, this is Terry Taylor. I'm not calling to fire you." And then I got a call. I got a call one day, and he's like, "Hi, this is Terry Taylor." And I said, "And?" He goes, "I got to let you go." I was like, "Oh crap, that ain't good." But uh, yeah, those calls suck. But you know what? In our business, I feel like it. It it sucks at the moment, but it's not the end. You know what I mean? Like we all see each other up and down the road coming and going and there's now thank god more opportunity which is great for sure absolutely i forgot that uh, initially in tna you were more of a manager um did, yeah. you, did you have any influence in in on tna starting the knockouts division well i mean i thought i, I literally begged for it every day i mean there was well, that would be influenced when yeah, I mean, they when they called me, they said they wanted to start a women's division, but they didn't have the time because I remember when they started on Spike, it was only an hour show. And so I kind of like, okay, I'm going to wait it out. And I waited probably a good year and a half. I remember thinking uh, or watching and thinking, oh, my God, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I just can't watch the guys. Like, you know, being a manager is great and all, but for me, um, loving being you know the actual wrestling part of the business it was hard for me to watch the guys do what i loved while i was at ringside and so i just felt like i had more to contribute and so at that point i was just like okay guys if we don't want to start this women's division i don't think i can do this anymore <laughs> so one of your early feuds was uh, uh i had a feeling by the way that you were instrumental in that i just know your personality i had a feeling that that, yeah. that you that sort of pushed it a little bit one of your early feuds was with jacqueline had had you ever faced anyone as physical as jacqueline before I mean, for the size, no, no one even came close. And I had worked her in WWE before, and so yeah. I already got a, you know, a little taste of Jacqueline. <laughs> so I knew what to expect, and I loved it. I mean, I, anyone that knows me, I love the physicality, and she's one of the toughest girls I've ever been in the ring with. I mean, aside from Kong, but when you look at the size difference of her and Kong, they're night and day. 
and that just puts it in perspective as to how tough she is. I don't think people understand how tough she is. I think it's it's one of the untold yeah. stories. Uh, I remember they, in WCW they put her with Kevin Sullivan, and Kevin had a reputation of being stiff uh, on TV. Yeah. And you know, and then so he he'd throw them out and and feed them to Jackie, and Jackie would make Kevin Sullivan look like a lightweight. You know, she. Uh, lay it in and I, I believe mean, it these were guys I believe it so uh, that's crazy I've seen her I've seen her beat the crap out of a lot of people <laughs> including myself <laughs> so you mentioned your feud with Awesome Kong it, actually I was there and it really changed the way that a lot of people look at women's wrestling uh, when you look back considering that uh, women just headline Wrestlemania do, what influence do you think your matches with, with Kong had I mean, I, I don't know in terms of um, how it really affected what's going on today. I would hope to think that it did. Um, you just never really know what factors are playing into this all. But all I know is that to this day, and it's been since 2007, I believe. So it's been well over 10 years. And to this day, anytime I do any type of appearance, Every other fan is pretty much telling me they love what Awesome Kong and I did. And to think that those memories still are clear to wrestling fans, that's a huge deal to me. And um, nothing will ever replace what we did together. I truly believe it was magic. And Impact gave us that ball and we ran with it. For sure. Was there anybody that you ever had as good a chemistry with as Awesome Kong? Oh, I feel like I had awesome chemistry with a lot of girls, to be honest. It's, I, I can't even really think of many girls that I didn't have good chemistry with. Um, I had a good chemistry with Taryn, too. We had a really good, like, I don't know, this trust between us and this, both of us, this need to go to the next level phys- you know, physically. And um, there was no one else that really wanted to go there at that time with me. So Taryn's another good one. Um, a lot of the girls. I mean, I think every worker's goal should be to be able to show that you can work with anyone of any type of character, of any type of style of wrestling, of, you know, any gender, really, of anything. Absolutely. You, but you and Kong just did have something special and magic, like you said, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. And, and it didn't even really last that long. It was only, what, six months? Yeah, it was about six months. I mean, but they kept, they went back to it before I left the company. So was, um, in my mind, I was just like, oh, boy, I don't know. <laughs> because it takes a lot physically to sure. go with Kong, you know. And so absolutely. I, I was just like, okay, let's just maybe leave it alone for a little bit and then come back to it and then when I came back to the company we wrestled a couple more times and you know for me it was always just like as a performer and what I'm giving to the fans I always just wanted to up it that next level so always that pressure was there to top what we did the last time with her and Karen I always felt that pressure you mentioned leaving TNA what were the circumstances behind that it was 2008 you left TNA what what was the reason that was just strictly um, business, you know, decision. And, um, you know, I thought at that time, you know, I was still in the prime of my career and it, I just wasn't getting the offer that financially that I was looking for. And WWE came along and gave me that offer and I didn't want to leave. You know, I, I had to talk with pretty much every single person in that office about it. And 
just business-wise, it didn't work out. So I stayed optimistic and thought to myself, I'm a stronger, wiser woman now. I'm more experienced. So I'm going to be optimistic about my return to WWE. And obviously, that didn't work out either. But um, so tell you know, me- everything happens for a reason. Tell me about that. Why why did why didn't it work out the second time? I mean, it was pretty much the same, you know, it's kind of a repeat of what happened the first time in a lot of ways. Um and you know, I didn't start wrestling at a, a young age. Most people start in their teens now. I started at the age of 23, which is late by today's standards. And so for me, by the time I went back there, I was in my 30s. I didn't have um, you know, there it's a lot of politics and a waiting game you know like how long can they wait for a push and for me I was like I don't have that time to waste I have something to give right now and I knew that and I believed in myself and so I was like okay I'm out of here I'm gonna go utilize my talent and you know sometimes for some people the risk of waiting pays off but for myself, I just thought, you know, I, I've experienced a lot here in terms of I see the way that they perceive me in uh, being an ethnic woman. I, I didn't know if the weight was going to pay off. And so for me, it was just more like, okay, come out of here. I'm going to leave. I, I don't want to be held down anymore. When you say you're out of here, you're literally out of there because you eliminated yourself <laughs> from a battle royal. Um, yeah. <laughs> What led? What led? You kind of told me us what led to that incident. Was there a buildup, or was it just enough's enough? Yeah. And, uh... I mean, literally, it was a buildup of the whole three-year period, and you know, I just, I just wanted to go out on my own terms. And like I said before, I would never have done that if it affected the whole match. But sure. I knew it didn't matter. They never cared about the women at that point, and so for me, it was just like, okay, I'm literally out of here. <laughs> just the disrespect of the women over and over and over again you know there's only so much you can take and certain personalities can take it and i couldn't yeah there uh vince say anything when you walked by by gorilla no no No. did any did anybody say anything or you just packed your bags and left (laughs) i had a talk with johnny after that and uh, so that happened that night, and then um, I think that was the night that John Laronitis, he so he was the head of talent relations. Right. And so they had started him that night with an on-air character. And so I guess that's when he started that whole people power. Show. Yeah. And then he came backstage, and I knew that him and Vince and whoever else were going to jump into Vince's limo and go to SmackDown the next day. So I wanted to make sure I caught them or caught him before he left. Um, cause I, there's no way I was even continuing on one more day. So I caught him when he came back from a segment and I just told him I quit and we had a little talk and I told him how I felt and, you know, um, he played the normal WWE game with me about trying to hire me as a trainer and why am I, you know, unhappy. And I was like, really, you know, it's just, he's good at, he's good at that. <clears throat> well, I mean, he's not in that position anymore, no. so who knows how good he is. <laughs> no, just I mean, a, honest, but just I, I will say, to give him some empathy here, that's not a good or easy position to be in in that company. It's almost like you have to be the bad guy, but at the same time, I think that people in that position can handle it much better than he did and Mark Carano do. I mean, that's my belief, but who knows? 
I mean, it's fun. I don't know how these people. It's funny yeah. if WCW would have gone on and be bought by the group that Eric had. Um, I would uh, Johnny would have been Eric's uh, right hand man, and I was supposed to be Johnny's right hand man. So that would have been interesting. Would have been interesting how that would have uh, how that would have uh, played out because uh, yeah, but it didn't didn't play well, out. Mark Carano was Johnny's right hand man, and now he's in that position. I actually met him for the first time. I was uh, a guest of uh, I was up in New York for WrestleMania. You saw me. We we saw and um, yeah, uh, Fit Finley, who I'm sure you probably is the one guy you have nice things to say about in WWE. I yeah, would assume. Uh, I love no, I love a lot of people there. Actually, it's not not really, but all the individual people there. Most people were actually very great. It's you know, like I say, it starts with the leadership. <laughs> yeah, 2013. Yeah. You returned to TNA, never really left. Uh, looking back, mm-hmm. some, you know, you could you could look at all the different feuds and all the different people that you work with. But what are what are the some of the highlights that you remember of the last six years? Oh boy, definitely Taryn and myself. Um, you know, because I think as a performer, you're always striving for those magical moments, and at least that's what I call it. I call it magic. And I've had that with Kong. I had it with Taryn. And now, uh, obviously, my retirement that just happened, what, less than, what, like a week ago or something like that? Or two weeks ago? I don't even remember. Your re-retirement? With Tessa. Yes. Yes. With Tessa. So that was another highlight. And I couldn't have asked for a more perfect end to my story so we'll I mean, get it's not the end to end end sure. in the ring <laughs> sure we'll, we'll get to that i wanted to ask you about that um mm-hmm. how was your relationship with dixie carter over the years good i mean you know just like i always had a great relationship with pretty much everyone at impact i can't think of anyone that i didn't have a great relationship with and you know that's the one thing about this company is that i never for one day never felt like I could be myself and that I wasn't you know I never felt like what you were talking about earlier the politics I never had to do that I just felt like they truly just wanted to use me to the best of my ability and they did absolutely you're the only woman I believe inducted into the TNA Hall of Fame what does that mean to you on a personal level if anything oh yeah that was um that was almost like just the icing on the cake, you know, near the end of my career. And it was almost like that sign to me to retire because it happened right before I retired. And so I'd had this conversation with Christy Hemi, one of my you know, best friends, and she was at the time working in the office and she wanted me to plan my retirement, you know, because she wanted to give me a proper send off. And I was always not ready to talk about it because I think as a performer too, you know, unless um, you're really feeling sure about it you don't want to really talk about it and so I was like okay I'm not ready to talk about that yet and then once that happened I felt like okay you know with that with my back and everything else I was like okay that's a good sign for me you know that I should be retiring so you decided to retire and you went out on top Mm -hmm. as champion and relinquished the belt Mm -hmm. Uh, did you think you were going to come back at all or did you think this is it I thought this was it um I don't feel complete after that. I knew that. Um, it was just a very anticlimactic finish for me. And so I think we all dream about the 
perfect storybook ending, but most people don't get that. I mean, I would say 99% don't get that. And so I just kind of accepted it because I thought, okay, you can't have it all, Gail. <laughs> you know? um, but I was happy. The only thing I wasn't happy about was that it was almost kind of a thrown together match that had no buildup. That was the main thing for me. And so I just kind of accepted it and went into the tradition, uh, the transition of becoming an agent and just fell in love with that. And then this opportunity with Tesla came along and as long as I got medical clearance, I was like, okay, you know what? This feels right. And so I started heading in that direction. Was that the storybook that you were looking for? The storybook ending? Yeah. Oh it- yeah. I mean, I couldn't have asked for anything more. I mean, it, because of my crazy neuro, uh, neurotic mind, I mean, that match wasn't perfect, but it was as perfect as I'm going to get. <laughs> you know, I had taken over a year off, so I was a little concerned about my cardio in the ring. I was concerned about, you know, giving the fans the last memory of what they remembered of me before and how I was moving in the ring. I didn't, you know, Tessa was, is a phenomenal athlete, and she's 23 years old. I'm 42 years old. And I wanted to be able to show that I could keep up with her. How good is she? Oh, my God. I mean, I think there's no doubt. Everyone knows that she is, I would say, probably in the top three female wrestlers in the world right now, for sure. Um, Wow, that's saying something. I mean, that it really, uh, she's so good. She's got that special something, that star quality, um, and to think that she's only 23, it's, it's pretty insane. So you talked about becoming a producer, which is what you're, you currently do mm-hmm. for Impact Wrestling. What, what are the differences between, and I asked you this when I saw you in, uh, in New York, but mm-hmm. just uh, for, for this podcast purposes, what are yeah. the differences between being a competitor and producing the matches that, uh, that they go out and compete in? I think the difference for me was um, pretty much the loss of control (laughs) because as a performer and like someone that is so nitpicky and a perfectionist, I was at the beginning, you know, trying to help out the girls in terms of what they were doing in their matches. But then once they go through that curtain, you have zero control. I mean, pretty much anyways, Um, you can try to control as much as you can, but you got to let that go. You know, you have to be able to, um, pass on your knowledge and hope that they take a piece of it and then grow from there. And But I will say it's such a satisfying feeling to watch even from when I started about a year ago agenting to see how far they've all come and grown and improved and gelled together as a great women's division. It's, I'm very proud. Yeah, I could imagine that you have a like a movie in your head of how something, how you see something going, and then you have to leave it in yeah. two other people's hands or four others to make that yeah. uh, come true, or three, however many. Uh, and then you know, if, it, if if you're watching it and it doesn't doesn't happen the way you you, you pictured it in your mind, you know, there, you're right. Yeah. There's nothing you could do about it except for just trying to explain uh, and hope the next time that they could, you know, uh, uh, complete your vision. Hey, uh, are you involved exactly. in creative at all, or just uh, just as no, an agent. I am not. Any not, just an agent. Any desire? Um I mean, I think uh, I don't know. I'm always open to new opportunities. I would not say no cuz I love the business in general. Um 
but I do know that I love working with the women, you know, and I'm not opposed to working with men. I just find that my heart is with the women. So anything with the women, if they wanted me to be creative in that regard, I would accept it. Yeah. I asked Scott Demore when I saw him in uh, in New Jersey for WrestleMania weekend, and uh, I, I think you guys might be starting to go starting to go in this direction. Do, do you foresee a lot of intergender stuff in Impact Wrestling? And if yeah, so, is I that mean, something you're a fan like, of? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it to be honest. I'm not going to lie about that. I'm, I guess, old school in that regard. Um, I. Th- think it's okay if it's a proper story i think if it's okay if it's the proper two opponents um don't love it for a lot of reasons because the kids watching and maybe not understanding so much um i'm very much into the realism of our business and so that takes away a little bit at times um but i think it's a trendy thing right now and people really like it so I keep myself open-minded to what's the next thing in wrestling. And we've already seen a little bit from Scarlett, but we're going to see a little bit more, I think, in the next coming weeks. A little spoiler alert. Well, spoiler alert. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) It's funny. I was at StarCast last year, and I was sitting talking to Tully Blanchard, and he was telling me that he was at did an appearance at a show, and at that show, Tessa wrestled Brian Cage, and he just could not for the life of himself get it. Not so much because it was a man and woman thing, just because it was such a difference thing yeah and i agree 100 percent. and it's so funny because i just had this conversation with tessa and i asked, that was the same question i asked her i go so what does your dad think <laughs> she's like he's like you i was like okay just checking <laughs> yeah he was he was not a fan of it but you know he, he realizes yeah, that he has to kind of let it go as you know let yeah. his daughter do his uh you know have her career yeah. hey what are your thoughts on the women's Re- revolution in wwe I love that it's finally happened. I love that the girls main evented WrestleMania. Um, That was a huge, huge deal. Um, And I hope that one day, and because I don't believe it's gotten there yet, is that the women get paid equally. Um, I mean, all across, not just in that company, just in our business in general, because I know there's still a big disconnect there. And... um, it, you know, and I get upset by it and I'm retired. I mean, to think back, you know, even when I was in my prime and I knew that I was being used all the time, I knew there were guys who weren't being used quite to the extent that I was. And, you know, maybe a mid card position and they were getting paid triple what I was getting paid. And so that's pretty upsetting, you know, when you know you're doing, putting out the same amount of effort, if not more. It's funny that you that that you say that you talk about uh, the difference in pay because if you go to like a WrestleCon, which is where I saw you at mm-hmm. last, and and mm-hmm. uh, in, unless you're Ric Flair, or Kevin Nash, uh, the women have the longest lines. I mean, you know, so, no, you're so right. they're the draw. I was saying, uh, thank God. Yeah, I was saying, uh, you know, uh, you know. Even women who I had never heard of, who were, aren't weren't very, you know, mm-hmm. in, in what I would consider, you know, household names, uh, had yeah. had lines longer than you know guys like Bobby Eaton or Coco Beware or Greg Valentine. Yeah. It was so. Um, it's funny that 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 they're so popular at those type of events, but they they don't get paid yeah. equal. And I agree. Kind of think that uh, it's very frustrating. Somebody it's needs very to catch up. What do you think the reason is? Uh, yeah. 
I think it's because we are um, independent contractors. I think that, you know, money is and salary is such a taboo subject to talk about, but we don't really talk about it amongst ourselves enough. Um, I don't know. I think it's maybe the old school mentality, too, because you've got to realize this women's revolution, evolution, whatever, you know, you want to call it, it has just recently happened. So I guess baby steps and not everything's going to happen all at once. But I hope we get to that point where um, the mindset is changed within is there any company. is there anybody in WWE right now on the female roster that reminds you of a young Gail Kim? Oh, no! I always said Tessa reminded me of a young Gail Tessa? Kim in the in, in in the regard of the work ethic and wanting to be the best and the passion. Um, I don't watch enough of the WWE girls to know. I know, you know, I've seen enough to know they're talented, and there's a lot of girls there I would have loved to wrestle in my time. Um, I don't know. I don't know them well enough. I'd say Tessa is the closest that I've seen. All right. Uh, hey, listen, I appreciate your time, especially since you were at the uh, at the nail salon getting your nails done. Hey, before we wrap this up, <laughs> yes. before we wrap this up, you know that I got a hit on. Uh, I'm the biggest fanboy, Mark, of your husband, Robert Irvine. And yes. Um, yes. so um, a couple of questions, if you don't mind. Uh, number one, does yes. he ever does he ever let you cook dinner? Oh, I cook all the time. I cook more than he does. Really? <laughs> does, 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 he doesn't want to do that. He's been doing it his whole life. <laughs> so does he does he critique your cooking? Um, yeah, I guess he does, but he's more encouraging. You can definitely tell when he likes something when he doesn't. He's, he dances. You know, you can, oh, yeah. He, oh, yeah. Does he ever oh, dance when he what? eats your food? Guess what, Dave? What? I haven't had the happy dance yet. No! <laughs> I don't think so. I can't remember. But you know what? That's my goal. That's my goal in life. <laughs> you, need to, you need to make that happen. Um, I know, I do. So, uh, Restaurant Impossible, which is one of my favorite shows, is back on Saturday nights. I DVR it. Yeah. Uh, how do they do that all? I know that you you don't get seen a lot on camera, but I know that you're there for some of them. Yeah. How do they do yeah. that all? Give us a little behind the scenes sneak peek if you're if we're Restaurant Impossible fans. How do they do yeah. that in 48 hours? Definitely. A lot of people are always like, "Is that real?" Do you I really didn't want. I was 48 hours. I was going to ask you that, they but I didn't want to insult it. you. They actually do it in less than 48 hours because if you think about it okay so maybe um tom and um tanya most of the time which is designer and the builder right. they'll go ahead of time to kind of like you know get measurements and scout it out but from the time that robert walks in he literally never wants to know anything about it he doesn't want to know what the family's like he doesn't want to know what kind of food he doesn't want to know anything and then he walks in and everything you see on camera is very real when he gets to know them when he's trying the food like that's all real and then they literally have about 36 hours to complete it all and they have a lot of volunteers they they rely on volunteers in the area and they'll use craigslist or facebook or whatever it is to get the message out there and then um yeah, it's a, as real as you can imagine. When when they have the reveal and the people come in and they eat the revised menu, do they eat for free or is do they, do they pay? No, they pay. It's a business. They gotta give them, you know, a good start to the to the uh, redo. <laughs> Even I pay. <laughs> Even you pay? 
Yes, of course. Has has there you got to contribute? Has there ever been anybody who, after it was all said and done, the cameras were off, were like, you know, I don't really like this. I'm going to change it back. Um, not to their faces, but I've heard of stories of them changing certain things back, which. Uh, not normally with the decor because they normally love it, but say the food items because there's some people who are so stubborn that truly believe that that's their, you know, the crowd favorite or whatever it is, or they think they should go back to this old way because they thought it worked and they end up failing <laughs> when they don't listen. Yeah. That's yeah. that's not uh gotta listen to the expert. That's that's, that's not limited that's, that's not limited to restaurants, unfortunately. Hey, you talked I know, about I know. you talked about writing your own story. As, as as your story goes, how long do you stay involved in professional wrestling and when do you just ride off and retire and enjoy your life? Oh no. I'm gonna try to stay in it for as long as I can. You know, it's my love. Besides my husband and my family. And that is my true love in life. You know, I don't think people realize, you know, I think in everyone's job, if you love it, that's part of your self-worth. That's part of your, you know, your life and your being. And it's been part of my life for almost 20 years. And I'm going to try to make it another 20 if I can. I hope you do because you're a class act and uh, great at what you do. And I'm not just saying that because you, you came on the podcast from the nail salon, I really, which I appreciate. I've always been a big fan. I was there for a lot of the, the, the TNA stuff and the Impact stuff. And um, yeah, and I appreciate I appreciate your time and your honesty. And uh, give my best to Robert and tell him to dance to your cooking. He, he needs to. I know. He's, he's you're a, right. It, it has to be. It has to be strange because you know if you do a lot of the cooking, it has to be because part him is as a chef is part, part probably like thinking in his head you know well uh, i don't know about this i don't know about that but as a husband you know as somebody who's been married for together with my wife for 30 years i you know you, you yeah. also got to be very careful about what you say so <laughs> he knows he no he likes it it's just maybe um i always cook healthy that's the thing i don't really make bad stuff so maybe he needs a bad dish so that, you know, in terms of unhealthiness for him to dance to. <laughs> there you go. Let me know if go. let me know when you can get him to dance. Tell him uh, tell him I said hello. I met him once. He's I a class will. guy. You're a class person. Thank you so much, Gail Kim. And where can people follow you? Uh, Gail Kim is me on Twitter and Instagram. No Facebook. No Facebook. Any reason? Um, I just I don't know. I've never gotten on it and I never loved it. And now they seem to always be in the news for like not good things. So I'm glad I never joined it. Yeah, it's a social media is an interesting thing and in that we could talk about that yeah, for a whole nother hour. But I'll let you go finish getting your nails done. So uh, okay. thanks. Thanks again, Gail. And best of luck. Thanks, Dave. Want to thank Gail. Be sure to follow her on Twitter. Uh, she is not. Uh, shy about her opinion and uh, very interactive and I think that you will enjoy her point of view as a legendary Hall of Fame uh, women's competitor who is uh, a little early because uh love to see uh, 20 years ago Kale Kim in the uh, WWE right now uh, with their women's evolution and see where she might have taken that but um I want to thank her for taking time and uh, hope her nails come out great. And um, a shout out again to uh, her hubby, Robbie Irvine. Big, big, big Mark, if, as if you can't tell. 
some people are marks for wrestlers. I'm marked for a chef. But uh, if you've never seen Restaurant Impossible, it's on the Food Network uh, Saturday nights. I don't usually watch it on Saturday, so I DVR it. But it's uh, it's a cool show. And uh, you never know when Gail will pop in as well. So we wish her much luck of her goal of staying around the wrestling business for 20-plus years. And thank her again for her time. We will be back next week with another exciting episode of City Ringside with another exciting guest. Until then, my name is David Penzer. I'm still City Ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles and DJ Eakin, news and political pundits like Vincent Hill, and independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochelle. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com. 